Well, good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to Jack's. It's great to see the cream of the crop here this morning. Thank you for being with us. There's a few people away on holidays and that sort of stuff, so thank you for being with us today. I hope you can join with the video or the music in the video and sing that this really is the most wonderful time of the year because we're certainly on that final run into Christmas now, aren't we? I wonder if you've had the chance to open a Christmas cracker yet in the last um, week or so. Meredith opened one last weekend. It had this inside it. It said, um, what did the stamp say to the Christmas card? Stick with me and we'll go places. Um, I really like the elf jokes that you find in Christmas crackers. I like this one. Why do Santa's helpers go to therapy? To help their elf esteem. Or what do you call an elf who won't share? Elfish. Or what are elves' favourite type of photos? Elfies. Now, as good as Christmas jokes are, I imagine that for some of us, this time of the year, you know, it's also a time of the year where we start to feel some mounting pressure and stress. Certainly not everybody's favourite time of the year. I reckon you can measure the kind of pressure in society by driving around a shopping centre car park. Um, If you've done that recently, I think you'll see that people are on edge at this time of the year. Christmas, I think, is a most wonderful time of the year. It's a time with baubles that we hang up at different places, sometimes on the Christmas tree, sometimes out in the garden. It's the time of fairy lights, of gifts, of mulled wine and gingerbread. It is a wonderful time of the year. I wonder this morning, what makes it wonderful for you? What makes Christmas wonderful for you? Now, we're all here together at church this morning. And so we all know, of course, that part of the wonder of this time of the year is that it marks the birth of Jesus. And so, so often at this time of the year, we set up nativity scenes. We get out those little figurines and we create a replica of that nativity scene. I've got one on the screen behind me, just in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. I think you all know of these things. Hands up who's got one of these at home somewhere at the moment, who's got a nativity scene set up. Just a few, not many of them this year. Um, I wonder, in your nativity scene, do you have maybe a little baby Jesus? That's kind of essential, isn't it? Maybe you've got a Mary and a Joseph figurine. Perhaps there's some shepherds looking on. Maybe there's a sheep or a lamb or a donkey as part of it. Maybe there's even a cow as part of the nativity scene. But here's a question for you. Does anyone here have a dragon as part of their nativity scene? Have you got a dragon in your nativity scene? Now, I would have said ordinarily that no one has a dragon in their nativity scene, but I went to someone's house this week and there happened to be a toy dragon kind of next door to the nativity scene. I don't think it was in it, but it was pretty close by. I want to suggest this morning that a dragon could very much be in your nativity scene. It could be part of the scene. This week I want us to see that part of the reason why Jesus took on flesh and blood, why he came into the world with a physical body, that first Christmas morning about 2,000 years ago, was to defeat a dragon. That dragon's not a mythical creature either, by the way, but rather that dragon that Jesus defeats is also called the accuser or the devil, or Satan. And I think this is one of the reasons why Christmas is so wonderful. It marks the beginning of a victory that has been won. Jesus will emerge as the victorious ruler. And we're going to read about this morning. Uh, Sally's going to come and read to us a 
a passage that is, in a sense, a Christmas reading, but it's very much not your traditional Christmas reading. So as Sally comes up, let me pray for us now. Father God, we give you thanks for your word, which helps us to know about who you are and what you've done and how we can be saved through faith in your Son. As Sally reads from the Bible this morning, give us ears to listen, and as I explain this passage, help me to do so in a way that is helpful. In Jesus' name, amen. From Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Well, thank you for reading, Sally. There's a lot happening in this passage, isn't there? There's some vivid images and some vivid and big ideas in this passage. We can't possibly unpack it all this morning. The very good news is that next year, in February, Jack will be starting a series on Revelation. So if you've got any questions that come out of today, just hold them over for next year and you can ask Jack. We probably won't get as far as chapter 12 next year, but it is coming. So write your questions down and you can ask Jack a little bit later on. This morning, what I really want us to see is that Jesus took on flesh and blood. He took on humanity in part to defeat the devil, and in doing so, he has won for us a cosmic battle. This morning, we're going to look at three things together. If you don't have a leaflet, there are some on the hall table. This passage is printed out in the leaflet, and there's a bit of an outline there, so feel free to get up and grab a leaflet and grab the Bible passage. We're going to look at three things. We're going to take a look at this dragon to see who the dragon is. I want to ask some questions of you. Who do you think this dragon is? What do you think about him? And what is the dragon's main weapon? Secondly, we're going to see how the dragon is defeated. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 to see that. And lastly, I want you to see that Christmas is therefore the beginning of a a cosmic victory that Jesus wins. Now, if you were here last week, we saw that Jesus took on flesh and blood 
in order to seek and save the lost. And last week we saw that it was necessary for him to have a physical body in order to bear the penalty for sin. It was necessary for him to have a a physical body so that he could be nailed to the cross. It was his physical body that enabled him to be our substitute. Today, I want us to see that the physical body of Jesus enables him to defeat this dragon. So let's start by taking a look at Revelation chapter 12. If you have a Bible in front of you or a printout of the passage, that would be great. Now, as I said, I don't want us to get too bogged down in the complexity of this passage. I just want to unpack it a little bit. It's not your traditional Christmas passage, is it? There's no, no wise men, no, no donkeys, no, no manger. But nonetheless, can you see this passage describing the birth of Jesus? I think it's best perhaps to think of the woman in verse 1, not, not so much just as Mary, but, but rather as the faithful woman of Israel. The 12 stars in this picture, I think, represent the 12 tribes. And this is showing us that it's from Israel that the Messiah comes. The baby in the passage is, of course, the baby Jesus, the Messiah. God in flesh and blood. Perhaps the labour pains that, uh, that the woman experiences here in, in verse 2 refer to the trials of the Old Testament community, the Old Testament community of believers. Or perhaps the trials sort of refer to the agonising and yet imminent wait for the Messiah's coming. Then we get to verse 3, and the fiery red dragon appears. Now this dragon, no doubt, I think, symbolises those who opposed Israel, Egypt and Rome and Babylon, and yet the dragon is more than just symbolic. You know that, because look down to verse 9 of this passage. In verse 9 we read this. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. If there was any doubt who the dragon in this passage is, I think verse 9 just makes it super clear. The dragon is the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden. The serpent is the devil or Satan. And can you see here this, this dragon is ready to pounce on the birth of the baby Jesus. In verses 4 and 5, the entire life of Jesus is kind of summed up. We see his birth, his kingship, and his ascension to the throne. Interesting, there's there's no mention of his death here, is there? Perhaps this, this passage is more concerned with the great victory of Jesus' resurrection and his resulting ascension to the throne where he takes on his kingly rule. I want to ask you a question this morning. How does this talk about the devil or about the serpent or about Satan, how does it sit with you this morning? When it comes to thinking and, and talking about these things, I reckon many of us just kind of want to pass over these ideas. We see them as a little bit confusing, maybe even mystical. We might believe in the risen Jesus, but when it comes to evil spiritual forces... Sometimes it feels a bit more like we're crossing over into Star Wars territory and we're speaking about a mythical character like Darth Vader. Do you think that way? Or maybe you're you're, you're actually on the other side. Maybe you're very worried about the evil forces 
that are in the world. Back in 1941 and 1942, C.S. Lewis wrote The Screwtape Letters. Some of you might have heard of that book before. And he says in the preface, he says this, there are, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and, and unhealthy interest in them. Where do you sit? My, my guess is that for most of us here today, we're, we're more likely to disbelieve in the existence of the devil than to be those who have an unhealthy interest in them. Perhaps that's because in our world today, demons and devils have been reduced to cartoon characters or to sporting team mascots. Now, who won the AFL grand final this year? Melbourne Demons. I've got a photo of their mascot on the screen behind me. Now, it's all good fun here, and I'm not really trying to poke a critical hole in our society here, or in the Melbourne Demons or anything like that, but what I do want you to see is that I think so often in our society we think of the devil in a way the Bible doesn't present him. We think of him as a cartoon character. We think of the devil or of Satan as being mischievous rather than evil. We think of the devil as being sexy rather than abhorrent or playful rather than deadly. And yet in Revelation 12 that Sally just read to us, we read that this defeated devil, knowing he is lost, is flung earthward and is filled with fury. Do you know what that feels like? Have you ever lost a competition? Lost a race? Maybe you're part of a sporting team and you didn't make it through the grand final. How do you feel? Doesn't it give you that fire in your belly to come back, train harder, be better the next year? The dragon, the serpent, is filled with fury and is hurled down to the earth. You see that in Revelation 12? And perhaps this idea is behind the warning that Peter gives in the closing remarks of his first letter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Is this the picture you have of Satan, of a roaring lion looking for prey to devour? Because it kind of sits at odds, doesn't it, with the, the cartoon character image that I think so many of us have of the devil. And so as this year sort of winds down, we get kind of in that last week of the year now where things hopefully start to quieten down, you have a little more time. I'd love you just to do a little bit of head searching, a bit of heart searching maybe, and just to think through, how do you see the devil? Do you see the devil under every rock that you turn over? Are you very worried about him? Or, or do you ignore the devil completely? And Peter warns his, warns his readers that the devil's like a roaring lion. And maybe you're hearing those roars in your life at the moment. Maybe you need to think about from what corner of your life the growls are coming and then maybe you need to think about how you might resist that. This year, many of us have been stretched and pushed and prodded by uncertainty and by loneliness. 
and by the the never-ending change that just seems to be happening all around us. And that'll leave some of us in a very vulnerable position. Can I encourage you over the summer months to, to chat with a Christian brother or sister and to share with them areas of your life where you hear the roar of the lion most clearly. Maybe it's to do with a marriage relationship or or maybe it's about finances and financial security or maybe it's to do with issues in the workplace or the way you see yourself. Peter encourages us to be alert and of sober mind, not terrified, but aware that the defeated devil is roaring like a lion. Now, you might be sitting there this morning and then wondering, if the devil's roaring like a lion, in what sense has he been defeated? That's a great question, I think. It's a a question I think we should be asking ourselves. And part of the answer to that question, I think, comes in knowing what the devil's chief weapon is. And that weapon's on view in, in verse 10 of our reading today. Let me read to you from verse 10 of Revelation chapter 12 says this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. I think the chief work of the devil, his his greatest weapon, his work is in bringing accusations of our sinfulness to God. That's why he's called the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Here's, Here's how I kind of Imagine this working itself out, that the the devil is presenting to God a constant stream of of accusations against me. So the conversation might play out this way, that the devil might be saying to God, well, he he might have spoken kindly to the server at Woolworths last week, but inwardly he was cursing that checkout chick for the way that she was packing the grocery bags. He might have smiled at the man in the car park, but really he thought his time was far more precious than the other's. And don't forget the way in which he got frustrated and raised his voice and yelled at the kids last week and so on and and so on. A never-ending stream of accusations about my sinfulness to God, my failures to God, my inabilities to live up to what God has called me to. And the accusations, they're not made up, they're true. And the devil demands a payment for that. A penalty must be paid. I think there's more to the devil's work than just that of accusations, but I think this is his chief weapon. And so then, in what way has the chief weapon been destroyed or what way has the devil been defeated? Well, essentially, I want you to see that he's been disarmed of his chief weapon. His chief weapon has been taken away, and that is his ability to accuse. It's been taken away from him because Jesus took on flesh and blood. Because Jesus is our substitute. Because Jesus as a person can legitimately stand in our place. Because Jesus as a person paid the penalty for our sin. Let me show you this. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. It's in the printout that you've got there. Or you can look at it up in, in a Bible that you might have in front of you. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. This is what it says. Since the children have flesh and blood... He too, that's Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What's Christmas about? 
Well, at least in part, it's about God taking on flesh and blood. It's about the second person of the Trinity being born as a human, sharing our humanity in order to disarm the devil by removing his power of accusation. It's removed because Jesus has paid the penalty and so has emptied the accusation of any merit. Let me give you an example of how this might work. Uh, The other day I received a letter in the mail. I think I've got it here. Uh, It's from the city of Charles Sturt, which is a bit strange because I live in the city of Unley. Anyway, I open the letter and it says this, Carl Kevin Forsyth, dear sir, on the 16th of November at 2021 at 2.48, your vehicle was reported for an alleged offence. Right? The offence was this, Rule 2051, Australian Road Rules 1999, exceeded time limit in Port Road. Highmarsh goes on to say this, to finalise this notice, payment of $57 should be made by the 19th of December to avoid any further notice. So here's the accusation. The car was parked for longer than it should have been in the wrong spot. And the letter accuses me of wrongdoing. How do I make amends? Well, it's actually quite simple in this case. How do I finalise the issue? I just pay the penalty. In this case, $57. And so after reading the letter, I paid the fine. I mean, they even had photographic evidence of the car being in the car park for too long. It's not a false allegation. It was there for too long. And yet paying the fine, it puts it all in the past and it makes it go away and the accusation no longer exists. It's no longer got any sting. Jesus' substitutionary death in our place disarms the devil by voiding his most used weapon. His accusations become, well, they become worthless because the penalty for our sin has been paid in full. And Satan might desire to present our sins or our shortcomings or our failings to the righteous God for condemnation. But Jesus' death takes away that possibility. He's been disarmed. I want to go one step further and say that the perfect human Jesus stands in our place. He's faultless and yet representing us. The accuser may accuse. Jesus says to God the Father, look at me, their substitute. I'm righteous, I'm faultless and I stand for them. And he can do that because he took on flesh and blood. He was born as a human And that's what makes Christmas such a wonderful time of the year. It's a wonderful time of the year for us as people. But I want you to also see that Jesus achieved a battle of cosmic proportions. And we see that in Revelation chapter 12, but we also see it in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians, we see the way in which Jesus' death cancels our debt. That's what we've already been looking at this morning. But we also get a bit of an insight into the result of this cosmic battle. Let me just read to you these words from Colossians chapter 2. You don't need to look them up. This is what it says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's what we've just been looking at. 
And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now here I think the the powers and authorities that are on view include the demonic forces. And here we see what a monumental victory Jesus achieved. The demonic forces have been made a public spectacle. The work of the cross has triumphed over them. You know, to the Roman soldiers, as Jesus hung on that cross, he must have seemed weak and broken. Must have looked like it was the end of the road for Jesus' followers at that point. And I reckon if Satan was looking on, he would have been delighted. And yet this was a cosmic victory. It was the event in the history of the universe that changes everything. Sinful humanity reconciled to a just and righteous God. And that's what makes Christmas, at least in part, the most wonderful time of the year. Now, you may rightly say there is really no place in the nativity scene for a dragon. And perhaps that's true. But the Bible helps us to see that the dragon is real. That there is a cosmic battle that rages around us, and the dragon has been hurled down to the earth in a fury. What makes Christmas so good is that Jesus has won the battle. By taking on flesh and blood as our substitute, the penalty has been paid and the devil has been disarmed. I hope this is a great encouragement for you this Christmas. As 2021 winds down, I think many of us will be feeling a little bit bruised this year, a little bit wobbly. We live in in uncertain times, don't we? And we've kind of grown used to that uncertainty over the last two years. We're adept at being flexible, but it's still tiring, isn't it? Maybe you're just feeling flat, disappointed that plans yet again are not coming to fruition. And here's how hope Romans 12 and Hebrews 2 can help us with this, just by remembering that the devil has been disarmed and that our God reigns. While we don't deserve to be caught up in that cosmic victory, our association with Jesus means that we've been caught up into his great work. We might feel bruised today, we might feel weary, we might feel tired. You might be able to hear the lion roaring quite loudly. But the reality still is that Jesus reigns. The accuser has been disarmed. The sting of sin is gone in the substitutionary death of Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that many of you will know well. It's a song with this line. It's one line that captures the whole idea of what I've been trying to say this morning. As he stands, that's Jesus, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful time of the year, a time of family, of great food, of elf jokes. We thank you that at this time of the year we remember that your son took on human flesh and blood to be our substitute, to bear the penalty that we deserve, and to defeat the devil. We pray that we would take some encouragement from that and that we're willing to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.